And we are live. Welcome back. This is episode number 26 of Calibrated with Scott. <clears throat> I'm Scott, of course. Uh, it's good to be back. I took a week off. I was uh, just analyzing the battlefield, the conflict as uh, in total, and just trying to look at it from different perspectives before I came back and talked. I don't want these to become repetitive uh, and just me, you know, putting out content for the sake of content. I want them to be uh, good and serve a purpose. So I took a little break, uh, but I'm back and uh, I have some goals for this summer. I have some time off, uh, some paid time off. So I'm going to be uh, overly focusing on the podcast, uh, just some house cleaning. Uh, I have started up my new telegram. Uh, it is calibrated the same way it's spelled in the podcast uh, on telegram. And that's where I'll be posting uh, a lot more content, um, longer form content. I'll be having discussions there more often. Uh, and I can also po post content that I can't post on uh, Twitter. So if you want to come and check that out, that's up. Um, I'm going to be spending a lot of time focusing on that. Uh, Twitter, I'm still going to be on uh, Twitter at uh, Squatson. So, uh, you know, come check it out. Um, and soon I will be starting up a YouTube page as well. Uh, so this summer is just all about expanding uh, Calibrated as far as I can uh, get it to expand. So let's get right into it. Uh, the situation has changed slightly. Uh, it has only gotten worse for the AFU um, in Bakhmut specifically. Uh, last time we talked, I had said something along the lines of, I don't think that the Ukrainians are going to pull out. They've already committed too much. I was expecting a full uh, pull out uh, withdraw or retreat in, uh, you know, early February. Um, that's that's when I thought that they should have pulled out. The second that uh, Yehidne and uh, oh, Yehidne and Berkivka right to the uh, west of Bakhmut started to become uh, threatened. I knew that the supply lines were going to be um, under extreme pressure, and I thought that that was the time for the Ukrainians to pull out, and they could have claimed Bakhmut as a serious victory. Uh, now it is just a horrific loss. The last three months have just been carnage for the AFU. They are just running brigades in there that are just getting torn up and taken out. Uh, the casualty rate, the like the KIA to wounded in action is not normal uh, because of how far they are in a salient, how uh, poor the medical conditions are in the city of Bakhmut, and how long it takes them to get out of the city. Uh, usually most of this uh, you know, medical evacuation is coming in the, at nighttime. So these these guys are wounded, and if they don't get to a rear line, you know, high level uh, hospital where surgeries and such can be conducted, which would be back in Chasovyar or Konstantinivka um, or Kramatorsk or Slavyansk, uh, then the then these guys are going to die. And so you're seeing a much higher uh, KIA ratio in the city. Uh, and it's just hell. It's, there's no other way to explain it. It is hell on earth. Uh, the zone of control now for the Ukrainians is about 10% of the city. Uh, I think last time we talked, the Russians were pushing up on the rail line. So it was close to 30% of the city was still under their control. So they've lost a pretty major chunk since the last podcast I've done. 
And uh, even more importantly, to the north of the city, the Russians have now captured a major fortification along the 0506 uh, highway from Bakhmut to um, Chesivyar. And there were trenches on both sides of the road. The uh, Wagner forces have captured both of those trench lines on both sides and now have physical control over the 0506, which was 60% of uh, Bakhmut's supply came through that road. Uh, it's been raining a lot recently still, uh, which has been horrible, horrible, horrible. Like the worst thing that could have happened to the AFU. And it's just unlucky, honestly. The Russians had a very mild winter, which was unlucky for them. Uh, and the Ukrainians have had a very wet spring, which means that the muds have not gone away and that is delaying offensive operations. It's uh, increasing delays on supply and rotation. It's just, it's a mess. And specifically now with Bakhmut, the Ukrainians are have, are going to have to uh, go through less established roads, so dirt roads and muddy fields, basically, at this point, to get into the city. Uh, and these muddy fields and these dirt roads also happen to be on low ground compared to where Wagner now has positions in trenches. So uh, they'll be able to direct artillery and ATGM fire uh, down on... Um, the uh, supply routes coming in and out of the city. So this, the situation has gone from, uh, you know, critical to dire. <clears throat> We're looking at probably what's going to be end up being a last stand because a retreat right now would be an absolute route. So uh, you're going to see probably a good one or two more weeks of solid fighting. And then the Ukrainians will have to, you know, wh whoever's left in the city is going to have to end up tr uh, walking out on foot. So, the, you know, I have said the whole time that I, I haven't really seen much of a plan with Bakhmut, and I continue to not see that plan. Uh, I think that even the Western partners are telling Ukraine that they need to get out of the city, and I don't think Ukraine is capable of letting it go uh, just from a morale standpoint. I think the city means way too much. I think it would be really detrimental to their... Um, domestic situation if Bakhmut falls and, uh, you know, a Ukrainian counteroffensive hasn't started. Um, so I do think you will see a Ukrainian counteroffensive. If they're going to go for it now, they will go for it before Bakhmut falls or directly after just to change the news. They're going, they're going to, if, if they're going to go, if not, I mean, late summer is now looking like a more realistic timeline if ever, because, if you say, oh, we're going to wait until late summer to go on the offensive, now you don't have equipment to defend the areas that you need to defend. The offensive was supposed to draw resources from the Russians and, you know, force them to not be aggressive in the areas that you can defend really well, which would be Bakhmut um, and, uh, you know, the rest of the Donbass. So the offensive in late spring or in late summer will have the same equipment issues probably worse because equipment's going to have to be committed to defense still the russians are not going to be, feel any pressure and they're just going to keep moving forward uh you know attrition's going to be quicker and quicker now with the uh addition of glide bombs um which are wreaking havoc um it's the the thing to do right now is to surrender that, that's the thing to do or go to the negotiating table not even surrender i bet they can negotiate a good settlement of out of this and not lose too much more of what they've lost 
but they won't do it and they're not allowed to do it. And I don't think the Russians at this point are willing to do it because they know that it'll never hold. It's just, uh, you, you, they're at the point where they are not negotiating with the West about anything anymore. Um, there's a lot going on on in other areas of the front. Um, in Kherson, uh, there was some noise about uh, Ukrainian DR, uh, DRG uh, units um, gaining a foothold on an island. Um, this is completely meaningless. It has no impact on the battlefield. Um, it's just an impossible place to supply, and it's just a way to get your guys killed. So I, I have nothing really to say about that. Um, in Zaporozhia, we have the 118th and 116th mechanized brigades being moved in. Um, this was reported by Rybar. Um, so, you know, you're, you can be pretty sure that the intel is correct there. Um, I think that they're, they're going to use these two mechanized brigades to be the spearhead on the offensive. And uh, we'll see how that goes. It it'll be very interesting. I think that it's going to be quite uh, nightmarish. I think it's going to severely hasten the end of this conflict. So, um, what else do we have to talk about? Uh, let's see. So. The glide bombs now have increased significantly. They went from, you know, a few glide bombs that we were hearing about a day. Now we're hearing about, you know, 40 plus strikes in the DPR in one day. Sumi's getting hit. Kharkov is getting hit. Zaporozhye is getting hit. Kursan's getting hit. So now we're, we're seeing hundreds of these glide bombs being um, uh, used right now. And it is being it is uh, causing extreme damage, even more so than the last time uh, I was talking about it. Uh, and back then I was calling it a game changer. This thing has completely altered the battlefield and has brought the Russian uh, Air Force into the picture, which is extremely beneficial because it's a huge component and it was just sitting back waiting for air defenses to be reduced. And that's what's happening now. Um, so, you know, Russian glide bomb... Uh, Glide bombs are just doing the work that the Russians needed them to do from the beginning. This conflict would probably already be over if the Russians had these uh, PGMs from the beginning of the conflict. And now we're just seeing how beneficial they are. And uh, another weakness has been patched in the Russian military. Um, this was something that I also wanted to talk about as a good segue. Uh, just this idea, I, I got into an argument about it and I thought I would bring it up. Um, this idea of like, it's not American exceptionalism, but invincibility, I would like to say, uh, people debate me a lot about how the U S would perform in conflict, uh, in today's day and age. And, uh, they seem to think that nothing will go wrong. I, I, I don't understand how people do their analysis and not start out with, what is the worst possible outcome here and how can, you know, what are they going to do to prevent it? Where are the shortcomings for the Russian military? I mean, every military has shortcomings, right? The Chinese have no combat experience. There has, the Chinese have not been in a conflict since right after the American intervention in Vietnam, when China went into Vietnam. Uh, and that was very limited. So they, they have almost no 
uh, combat experience from the last, you know, four decades, five decades. Um, and the Russians had huge drone deficiencies. They had huge uh, satellite imagery deficiencies, uh, both of which have been basically completely patched. Um, they're still working on the drones. It's just going to continue expanding, and then they're going to be leading the the drone race eventually uh, because that's kind of how russian industry works uh they did the same thing with air defense you know it was something that they saw that was critical they invested in it and then it became the best in the world and it was a way to uh defeat their adversary in nato um the u.s is going to have severe problems when they get into a conflict uh they're going to have a, a high intensity conflict not beating the shit out of a third world country but like a near peer or peer adversary uh, or, you know, I guess, I don't know if you'd call Ukraine Russia's near peer, but with the support of the West, it is definitely a peer adversary. Uh, and, and in the way that Russia is conducting the operation, it is definitely a peer adversary. So the U.S. is going to have problems with things like probably morale. Uh, in a high-intensity conflict, you're going to have problems with uh, the actual physical capabilities of your military fighting force, uh, and I and I don't just mean that in like their fitness, but also in their um, numbers. Uh, U.S. recruitment is horrifically low, and barring a Pearl Harbor or 9/11 or something, you know, uh, Casas Belli that's going to ignite a fire under americans you know we have a very divided country right now uh whoever's in the white house whichever direction they want to go is, is going to be unpopular with probably around half of the country and especially with the young portion of the country who are never going to go fight i mean i i deal with these kids all day um <laughs> they are they do not have that mindset at all it is not they are not the same generation as generations prior and their willingness to go and do that stuff is just non-existent. Um, so recruitment is through the floor. Uh, you know, it, the industry, the military industry is not capable of, uh, you know, wartime production by any means. The Soviets had great wartime production capabilities that they left dormant. The Russians inherited those. And when the Russians need them, all they have to do is activate them. The United States has to build them. So this is a, this is a gap that the U.S. will have to fill, and that gap is a monumental step. I mean, the U.S. is definitely capable of doing it, but it takes a year to two years at least. So that means that shell production uh, or, you know, shell usage in a war would be extremely low because they just don't have the uh, proper uh, shell production. Uh, they don't have en enough barrels for <laughs> a large fight. They all of their artillery is designed to be a sniper rifle, which is, you know, it's extremely accurate and it's amazing, but it doesn't have any of the wear and tear capabilities that Russian artillery have. Uh, you know, they don't have enough tanks. They don't have enough this that there's there's a lot that the U.S. is going to uh, have issues with. One of the biggest things they're going to have issues with is. Uh, I mean, one of the things they're not going to have issues with is their Air Force. Uh, you know, the Air Force is what they spend the most money on. It's what they have the most developed, and it's l what carries the U.S. military and the Navy, you know, but that is hand-in-hand -hand with the Air Force, uh, especially with uh, aircraft carriers. So 
I think that there are a lot of uh, weaknesses in the U.S. that are in the U.S. military that need to be looked at and not just make assumptions about, uh, you know, oh, the U.S. is going to do this perfect and, you know, clean house and they can defend Taiwan or, you know, this or that or what, you know, whatever. That That's just something that I think is important to talk about. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about before I wrap this up is uh, my ideas for where the offensive will come from and what their plan is. Um, I think the most important target for this offensive is going to be uh, Erna Godar, uh, the nuclear power plant, uh, the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. Um, I think that this objective has been for a long time in the minds of the British and the Americans. Uh, it's not so important to the Ukrainians, but the U.S. has come out and talked about uh, proprietary technology that they have in that nuclear power plant and how they don't want the Russians to access it, which, I mean, I'm sure they already have. But this whole debacle and the multiple times they've tried to take it back and the multiple times that they failed and the continued emphasis on it is something that I don't think should be ignored. I think that the Ukrainians will instantly try to break through down the coastline uh, and also at the same time conduct an amphibious landing to secure the nuclear power plant. Um, I think that's extremely dangerous and reckless, but you know, what, 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 what do they have to lose? Because everything's about to come crumbling down. So I think that that's gonna be the goal. I think at the at the simultaneous like at, simultaneously you will see uh, DRGs come across uh, Kyrgyzstan and try to wreak havoc down in the south. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of different really wild things. Some of them might be successful, some of them might not be, and uh, I think it's just going to be interesting. You know, if, if it happens, it's going it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about it. It's going to be something that is studied for a long time uh, for, you know, its success or for its uh, leading to disaster. So that's where I'm going to leave it today. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, please check out my Telegram. Uh, also check out my Twitter if you're listening to this. Uh, uh, this is going to be up on uh, Spotify and Locals. I will soon have my own Spotify page, I reckon, and... Uh, my own YouTube. So check those out as well when they're up. Uh, I'll, let, I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks so much.